Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue the season of Easter and our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also continue our sermon series, Catholic Saints for Pious Protestants. Is it possible your dog or cat is on a secret mission from God? What do human beings and slugs have in common? Join us for the message, St. Francis, the Spirituality of Animals. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. So glad to see those of you here in the sanctuary as well as those of you who are welcoming at, or worshiping at home. Is it possible that your dog or cat is on a secret mission from God? Or what, what do human beings have in common with slugs? If you've ever wanted to know the answer to that question, then please join us later for our message on St. Francis and the spirituality of animals. We have two scripture readings this morning. The first comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, beginning with the 20th verse. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. From Genesis chapter 2, beginning with the 18th verse. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I shall make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to all birds of the air and to every animal of the field. From Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning with the 19th verse. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have first the fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But we hope for, we do no, for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. This is the word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> Several years ago, my dog Caleb died. Now, while she was rather pathetic looking at the end, for most of her life, she had been a beautiful dog. She was a border collie mix, and she had this very distinctive 
merle coat pattern. It's what you normally will see on an Australian Shepherd, but she was a Border Collie mix, and it was just this wonderful, beautiful mix of black and white and gray. And I must add, true to her, to her heritage, even as a puppy, she tried to herd everyone. She could literally herd cats. But you know, you've also heard about how Border Collies are so trainable. When I enrolled her in the first level of dog obedience training called Puppy Kindergarten, she graduated valedictorian of her class. <laughs> I was very proud. But 14 years later, it was very obvious that every step caused her pain. And so I made this very difficult decision to put her down. And I had her buried in the backyard next to her best friend, Bo, which was the dog I, that, had, I had that, that had died a few years earlier. But with Caleb's death, in a few short years, I had lost four animals. And for the first time since I had lived in a college dorm, there was no animals in the house. Now, in a way, it was nice not to have to continually clean up pet hair off my clothes and off the furniture. I could leave a pantry or a closet door open and not worry about a cat running in and then getting locked inside. And I tell you, I did not miss that litter box one bit. But it was also kind of lonely and a little bit too quiet. Uh, I thought about getting more pets, but it didn't quite s seem like the time was quite right. But several months later, a feral mother cat had kittens in my sister's backyard, a litter of just two little male kittens. And my sister started handling them when they were three days old, so they would be used to the touch of humans. And she started hinting that these two kittens need to come live at my house. And I eventually fell for her shameless manipulations. And the two little male kittens came to live at my house. But seeing as how they were brothers, I named them Frasier and Niles. Well, for cats who came from a feral cat colony, they adjusted quite nicely to life with humans. They seemed to enjoy having humans around that would regularly feed them and pet them and groom them and play with them and enable their catnip addiction. Unfortunately, after a complication from surgery, I had to put little Niles down when he was only eight months old, which was heartbreaking for me and for Frazier. But then we added Daphne and Simba. These were litter mates from the next litter from that same mother cat from the same feral cat colony. And then later I adopted Thomas again, not from the same mother cat, but from the same feral cat colony. And so I lost four pets in a matter of a few years and now I had four cats all over again. And over the years, all of my various pets have become a very rich source of joy and companionship in my life. Well, last week I told you about St. Patrick, and this week I want to share with you about St. Francis. Now, Francis is one of the most beloved saints in the entire saintly pantheon, and even the most hardcore Protestants have heard of St. Francis, and they know that he is the patron saint of animals. Now, Francis was born uh, the son of a wealthy cloth merchant in the late 12th century in Italy. 
And Francis could have lived out his life in luxury, but he kept giving away his father's profits to the local beggars and using them to uh, support the lepers who lived there in the Italian town of Assisi. So in desperation, Francis's father actually took him to court in front of the bishop. And there, Francis renounced his family, he renounced his fortune, and then very dramatically, he took off all of the clothing off of his back, handed it to his astonished father, and walked out of the room in nothing but his underwear. Now in his mid-twenties, Francis became a beggar. And devoting himself to a life of poverty, he started to acquire followers, and he petitioned Pope Innocent III to found a new order of monks. And this order became known as the Order of the Friars Minor, but better known to us as the Franciscans. And Francis continued to attract followers and eventually sent missionaries throughout Europe. Years later, Francis was in the middle of a 40-day fast when he had a vision of Christ. And during this vision, he achieved the stigmata. That is, he began to manifest the wounds of the crucifixion, the wounds of Christ in his own hands and in his feet. And very ironically, he died just a few weeks later from complications from his stigmata. Uh, he died in the year 1226 at the age of 45. It was said that he was singing a psalm as he passed. And two years later, the next Pope Gregory IX pronounced him a saint and they laid the foundation stone for the Basilica of St. Francis there in Assisi, Italy. Now Francis's affinity for animals was legend. He was the first ever to set up a live nativity scene using real animals, the first one to ever do that. And the straw-filled manger served as the altar during the Christmas mass. For the most part, Francis was a vegetarian, but he did eat chicken feet since ordinarily chicken feet would otherwise have gone to waste. Uh, whenever he came across a fish or an animal that was stuck in a trap, he would set the animal free and admonish them to not let themselves get trapped again. In one famous story, Francis was traveling with some companions and he spotted a large group of birds sitting in a tree, birds of all different species. So leaving his friends, Francis approached the flock and he began to preach the gospel to the birds. And supposedly the birds sat there patiently listening and when he had finished, they began to sing and to spread their wings. And from that day forward, Francis endeavored to encourage all creatures to love and praise their creator. And he regularly preached to all kinds of animals and birds and even to reptiles. Francis realized the deep abiding spirituality that we find in all creation, especially that of animals. Indeed, animals can be a portal to a whole other realm of spiritual depth. Animals can put us in touch with those nonverbal and intuitive parts of our own personality and can take us to places that are beyond words or, or beyond doctrines or beyond theological formulations. Or in other words, animals can be great spiritual teachers. Animals, as you know, are often used in therapy situations 
because of their great ability to break down those emotional and physical barriers that we can erect around ourselves. When my mother was in a nursing home, they actually encouraged the family to bring in to visit the family pets. And so animals are able to so often read and adjust to seemingly every human need and emotion. I can tell you one of the most touching things I've ever witnessed was in my dad's final days. We were able to keep him there at home, but his, his little cat baby would not leave his side. She would sleep in his bed for up to 12 hours at a time. She would jump down and then at most be gone 15 minutes, just enough to eat and use the litter box. And then she would come right up, jump back on the bed and sack in for another 12 hours or more. And she did that until he died. And I also know of animals' abilities to read human emotion from my own experience. For example, if, if I'm at home, if I get angry, if I raise my voice, and it's usually because I can't get the computer to do something right, but I'm raising my voice and the pets just scatter. But if I'm, if I'm in distress, physically or emotionally, they try to comfort me. I can't tell you how many times over the years that I've been upset and I look up and my, and my cat has, has jumped up right beside me on the couch or my dog has come over and, and put her head on my knee. They just seem to know. In either case, I'm being loud and I'm being agitated, but they somehow they know the difference between the noise caused by anger and the noise caused by tears. It's amazing. Animals embody healing. You could almost say that they're a little bit kind of like an incarnation of God's touch because they can get through to us even after we may have closed ourselves off from other human beings or even shut ourselves off from God. Many people say that they cherish their pets because they offer unconditional love without judgment. But I'm not actually sure that animals are really completely non-judgmental. I mean, if you've had cats, you know that's true. But the thing is, animals don't judge us by human standards. For example, your dog or cat doesn't care if you're rich or poor, if you live in a mansion or a shack. Your dog or cat doesn't care if you have a PhD or you never got through high school. Your dog or cat doesn't care what color you are or where your ancestors came from. Your dog or cat does not care if you are young or old or beautiful or plain male or female or gay or straight. Your dog or cat doesn't care if you are the CEO of a multinational corporation or the maid who cleans his office. But this is what your pet cares about and this is how your pet judges you. Are you loving? Are you kind? Do you know how to share? Are you patient and affectionate and sensitive? Can you sometimes just chuck your to-do list and get down on the floor and play? Do you know how to go outside and just throw a ball around or take a nap in the afternoon sun? Can you at least for a moment give up all your human strivings and all the things that we think are important and just bask in the love and warmth of your creator? This is how animals judge us. And I think it says something about how God judges us as well. Now, my life with animals has raised many issues, I think, with theological implications. For example, 
Many years ago, I was a guest preacher at Perkins Chapel at SMU on a Sunday morning. And the service is attended by many SMU students, but it also draws a good number of people just from the nearby neighborhood who consider the Perkins Chapel to be their home church. And among these neighbors was a young blind couple. And they came every Sunday along with their assistance dog and they sat near the front of the church. And I noticed that when they came forward to receive the communion elements, I noticed that the chaplain took a big hunk of bread, leaned over and gave that dog a big old bite of communion bread. And this surprised me, I kind of, I found it touching. But I did have to wonder if a dog receiving communion was really theologically correct or not. But I thought about it, and after a while I thought, well, you know, it's really no different from what we do with our leftover communion elements. When we have leftover elements, which we almost always do, leftover bread or grape juice, we don't just throw the bread away, we don't just pour the grape juice down the sink. You either, what you're supposed to do is you either finish consuming the elements, or what we tend to do, you take the cup and you pour out the consecrated cup uh, at the base of um, a flower bed or a tree. And I take the bread and I, and I tear it up and I just throw it out on the church lawn knowing that it'll be eaten by, by animals and birds and even insects. And I guess if that's acceptable, then it's okay for a dog to come up to the communion rail and receive a part of the, com the communion elements. I think the underlying theology is the idea that God's love and redemptive activity is not limited to the human race. God declared that all things in creation to be very good. And you think about that, that very famous verse from John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life." And as I've shared with this, I know, in the past, that the Greek word there that's translated world is the, is the Greek word cosmos, and it means the same thing in English as it means in Greek. It means everything there is. So in other words, God so loved not just the human race, not just planet Earth, but God loved everything, the entire cosmos, the whole universe, everybody and everything in it. And this includes our animal friends. In Colossians, Christ is referred to as the firstborn of all creation. And as Wesley read earlier in Romans, Paul wrote, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility in hopes that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And so since we know now that God's love and redemptive activity extends to all creation, then it matters how we treat the environment. I mean, think about the story of Noah and the Great Flood. We're all familiar with the story. Noah builds an ark. He brings together two of every kind of animal on the earth. And so if you think about it, this story illustrates the fact that when it comes to the condition of the planet Earth, human beings and animals are in the same boat. If we treat creation with love and care, then creation is going to return the favor. 
And it's good to remember that not only is St. Francis considered the patron saint of animals, he is also the patron saint of the environment. A few years ago, a book came out that was entitled, Will I See My Dog in Heaven? And it was written by a Franciscan friar, not too surprisingly. The friar argued that since God longs to save all creation, then animals must also somehow be included in God's plan of salvation. And I was reading one article where one theologian pondered that perhaps God has a covenant with the animals with which humanity is simply unaware. In the Old Testament reading from Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created animals and declared that it was good. And in the very next verse, God says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Now, these pronouns of us and are, they've been debated for centuries. Who is God talking to when God says, let us? God talking to the angels, the heavenly host? Is it uh, some early reference to the Trinity? Is God speaking kind of in the royal we like a British monarch? Well, in the 14th century, a Jewish rabbi came up with a different answer. He believed that God was talking to the animals when God said, let us create humankind in our image. Because, as the rabbi pointed out, in the story, God had just created the animals. And he argued there was no one else there for God to be talking to, so God must have been talking to the animals. I don't know if that's true, but I love that story. And I think it fits the overall teaching of the creation texts and so just like all the other animals, we too are created out of the dust of the earth, and yet humans are also enlivened by the breath of God. And so a human being is what you get when you combine a fleshly animal body with a divine spirit. So we're created in the image of God and in the image of animals. And what the Bible teaches us in metaphor, I think science shows us through evolution. The animals are our kinfolk. We share a common source. We're family. For example, we share DNA with other animals, with chimps. Chimpanzees, we share almost 99% of the same DNA. With your cat, you share 90% of DNA. With your dog, it's 84%. And with a slug, we still share 70% of the DNA of a slug. Now, some would say that emphasizing our shared heritage with animals denigrates humanity. But I think we know that we're children of God, and nothing's going to change that. We know that we're children of God. It does not denigrate us at all. But what it does is it may elevate animals, and including all of creation, in their rightful place as the handiwork of God. And since we humans are only creatures who possess the imprint, we're the only creatures who possess the imprint of the image of God, I think that gives us a special responsibility to our animal brothers and sisters and a special responsibility to all of creation. Let us therefore care for the animals and care for our common earth that we share with those same animals. And let us learn the lessons of the animals, what's truly important in life, and let us say a prayer of thanksgiving for the love and the laughter that our pets bring to our lives. 
And so I want to ask you to pray with me. This is a prayer written by Albert Schweitzer. And so will you please pray with me? Hear our humble prayer, O God, for our friends, the animals, especially for animals who are suffering, for any that are hunted or lost or deserted or frightened or hungry, for all that must be put to death. We entreat for them all thy mercy and pity, and for those who deal with them we ask a heart of compassion and gentle hands and kindly words. Make us ourselves to be true friends to animals and to share the blessings of the merciful. Creator God, we thank you for the grace of animals, for the beauty of wild animals, the gifts of farm animals, the priceless love we receive from our pets. We thank you, God, for those animals, both the living and those who have gone before, who have graced our individual lives with their love and loyalty. Thank you, Lord. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. Amen. And now, with the confidence that we have as the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so now let us receive this benediction. Go out into the world and love one another. Cherish your animal family. Protest against abuse and neglect. Exercise stewardship of all creation so that all creatures of our God and King can experience God's shalom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we continue our sermon series, Catholic Saints for Pious Protestants, with the examination of the life of St. Ignatius. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember that we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.